welcome back to another episode of The Journey. If you are a returning listener, thank you for your patience. And if you are new to this podcast, then a very good welcome to you. In the most recent episode of The Journey, I shared with you the time in which I received and, if you like, somewhat rejected a diagnosis for my son. And in carrying on with that time, I want to share with you a time in which I believed that prayer and spirituality could heal, remove or reverse the difficulties in which led my son to be diagnosed. You will recall from the very first episode that I mentioned that I belong to a very Christian and Pentecostal family. And whilst I have moved away somewhat from the traditional and spiritual beliefs of this religion, or any religion, there was a time in where I was fully engrossed. Being the youngest of seven, and at the time having grandchild number eight. Disabilities and difficulties were not something that were familiar to myself or to anyone in my family for that matter. And so when my son did not speak, And when he displayed the inappropriate behaviours that he did, there needed to be a reason or explanation as to why he was facing the challenges that he were. And the only explanation that could be given was that there was a curse upon me which were manifesting through him. According to the very many pastors that I would take in to see, I had offended somebody who, if you like, had wanted to teach me a lesson. 
Now, it might sound bizarre to some of you listeners, but if you are Nigerian, and certainly if you are a Christian, and let's go even further to say that you are Yoruba, then this is something that may not sound too unfamiliar. And the explanation was given time and time and time again. And of course, the only way to break a curse or a spell or a hex is to pray against it. There are a number of memories that I have in terms of the efforts that were made to break this so-called curse. And whilst I probably cannot remember them all, the earliest memory that I have was when we took a trip to Nigeria. And I cannot remember the exact age of my son, but he couldn't have been any older than four. And I believe that this was the first time that he took a trip to Nigeria, or any trip abroad for that matter. And I remember being in an uncle's home, where my mother explained the situation to him. And of course, there's background history given in that the father does not want the child. The parents of the father also do not want the child. And the conclusion, of course, being that, well, the curse has come from their home. Now, I believed this. Remember, I was 24, a young and single mother who had no support other than that from my own mother, who had no knowledge of children, no previous parenting experience. It's almost impossible not to believe what you're being told. Because this was coming from the person who stood in the gap of my son's father, who essentially was his father and at times his mother. And whilst in Nigeria, my uncle, who continues to this day to be a member of a white garment-wearing church, called three of his church members to pray for my son. And I remember being in a room with candles being lit and a bucket of water and my son being instructed to kneel down in the middle. And these men prophets, elders, or whatever you want to refer them as, 
began to pray for my son. And of course, at four years old, he was completely terrified. And he was crying and trying to get away. And I was crying because my son was in distress. But I was being told that this is what he needed to be delivered from this curse. But at the moment my son screamed, help. I went to him. And I held my son and I comforted him. But I continued to kneel down to have him to be prayed for. That was the first of very many efforts that we would go on to make to have him healed. Church was a regular thing for me from then. I went religiously every Sunday. From denomination to denomination, from branch to branch, from location to location. I followed my mother to every single church that she believed there to be a man of God who could heal my son. I watched my mum pay money for prayer. I cried, I sang, I exercised the faith as small and as big as a mustard seed and tree. Over the years, there were many, many familiar prophecies or explanations as to why my son was the way he was. Oh, there's been a curse from his father's house. Oh, the mother has offended somebody. The common explanations that are given to keep you bound and attending in fear to keep you sewing ties giving offerings and attending there was a prophecy that was given that suggested that when my son turned seven years old, that he would speak, that this spell or this curse would be broken. And again, to some of you listeners, this may sound bizarre, but having now at this point developed a codependent relationship with my mother, I believed it all. And I believed 
that upon turning age seven, with seven being the number of perfection, with his birthday being July the 7th, that it all made sense. I can't remember exactly the age in which we decided to travel. But there came a time when my mum suggested that we went to South Africa for a healing ministry. And this was for us to attend Christ Embassy Church, I believe, with Pastor Chris Okoyemole. I cannot see, say his name. Apologies. And then she changed her mind and decided that we should go to Jerusalem instead. And so we did. Just like that. And I took my son and we travelled to Tel Aviv where we went on, I believe, a 10-day pilgrimage. And on a particular day, I decided to follow the group in which we went with to climb Mount Sinai. And we set for travel at midnight. My son stayed in the hotel with my mother. And I followed the group on the coach to where we would climb. Now I must make it clear that Mount Sinai is obviously in Egypt. And we had been crossing from city to city. And so this was obviously one of the activities that we would be doing. So at this point we were in Egypt. And when we got to the location, the climb up the mountain was about three hours. And at this point we're obviously in the middle of the night I sat on a camel, <laughs> which was the most terrifying thing that I've ever done. Because the camel, for those of you who have not yet ridden one, rides very bumpily, if that's a word. And the camel walked as close to the edge of the mountain as you could possibly imagine. And I remember screaming to the camel's owner, Mohammed, Mohammed, are you sure this camel could see, yeah? Yes, yes, sister, yes. Are you sure, are you sure, because I don't want to die, are you sure? Sister, sister, the camel doesn't want to die too. Okay. Supposedly the camel takes this route every day. And so is both familiar and comfortable with climbing this mountain with my weight on top. 
Now, they were grown men and women, frightened. But equally exercising the same level of faith. Because they were looking for miracles also. When we reached the top of the mountain, by this time the sun had risen. And so we had perhaps two seconds to say a prayer and retreat. I remember saying, God, I thank you because I know that when I get back to the hotel, Malachi will speak. We returned to the hotel hours later and I remember bursting into my room. Malachi, Malachi, how are you darling, Malachi? And he looked at me and all he said was Bagum. I looked at my son and as I'm pausing now that was potentially the same length of a pause that I gave him. I realised at that point that I had climbed Mount Sinai for the past however many hours simply for the experience to say I had climbed Mount Sinai. There was no burning bush and there was no miracle that I came back to return to. My son still had autism and he still couldn't speak. There would go on to be very many more experiences, efforts and attempts to heal him. He has seen more than enough holy oil and blessing water and Bible scriptures and deliverance sessions to last a lifetime. But as time went on, and we are fast forwarding a few years, I started to realise that his autism was not going to go away. But instead, I gradually became more accepting of his diagnosis. Now this is not to say that I don't believe in prayer. 
And this is not to say that I don't believe that God has intervened in his or my own life. But this is to highlight the taboo of disabilities within the black, the African, and certainly the Christian communities. Do I believe in labels? No, I don't. But do I believe that disabilities are from the devil? I don't think I do. I certainly don't believe that my son is possessed with an evil spirit. Neither do I believe or choose to accept that I have been cursed and that my son is the result of a curse. Whatever the reason may be for my son either being born, as the doctors would suggest, with autism, or going on to develop the condition, as I'm more inclined to believe. I have and continue to do everything within my power to ensure that he lives an independent, fulfilling, happy and successful life. I wanted to share this particular journey with you. Not only because we are now in Autism Awareness Month, but also because I do not believe that my experiences have been in isolation. Right now, there are a number of families running from church to church, mosque to mosque, and from man of God to man of God. Praying for answers and solutions to heal or deliver their children from whichever disability it may be that they have. And there are parents who are either choosing or remain simply unable and unwilling to accept that their child has a diagnosis of whatever their disability may be. There are churches and men of God who are claiming and deceiving 
and stealing. Under the guise that they can heal. Whatever your position may be, whether you are a parent of a newly diagnosed child or a parent of a child who's had a diagnosis for some time, early intervention is so important. Whilst I did not accept a label or a diagnosis for my son, I was very aware that there were challenges and I accepted every form of help. Because a label does not change the diagnosis. It does not magic it away if you choose not to accept it. The challenges are still there. And without the help, those challenges will only increase. For all the families out there struggling. For all of those unwilling and unable to accept, to identify. I've been there. I see you. I'm still there. We are so fortunate to be in a time where there's so much more awareness of autism and there's so much more help that you can get. And because of that awareness and because of that help, there's so much more acceptance. We're slowly moving away from the idea that there has been a curse or a hex or a spell and more and more people are becoming in a better position to recognise when they see a child with autism. My son was not diagnosed in such a time. When you think about autism you think about a little white child by the name of Billy. You see a white family. You see white professionals. We're slowly moving away from that. We're slowly having a little bit more representation within our communities. I'm hoping that with this particular episode that if you as a listener are going through an assessment process or a diagnosis process or if you yourself are just trying to process the thought of your beautiful child receiving a diagnosis that this will make it somewhat easier for you to do so and if you know someone 
who knows someone who's struggling. And this may help them. My son received his diagnosis at three years and ten months. And in four months time he will be 17 years old. He speaks fluently. He travels independently. And he remains the most beautiful soul I will probably ever know. And whilst he still has his struggles with understanding language, certainly words that have two meanings, he continues to overcome barriers. He continues to break every chain of limitation. And he continues to triumph over any so-called enemy that he may potentially or possibly have. Until the next episode, guys, stay safe.